0: As a preacher, I think we overlook, we overlook him sometimes as this, but one of my favorite people to learn from, and I mean this, uh, about preaching is is Jesus. It would make sense that the God-man would be a good teacher, right? A good preacher, okay? Yeah, uh, it kind of makes sense. And so, um, something about Jesus, one thing I love about him, and, and really, uh, this it really does impact the way I teach. If you've noticed, I think I don't like... I try not to, like, overload you with with details because, um, honestly, because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was very concrete and very simple. He loved to tell what? The truth. The, the truth. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I was afraid someone would say, he loved to tell lies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he loved to tell the truth. And a lot of times he would, I heard parables. What's another word for parables? It's maybe stories, Yeah. Jesus really was, like some have said that... it got it right, yes! <laughs> Everybody gets an A. Um, some have said that the story of the prodigal son is perhaps the greatest short story ever told. And that's just not Christian authors. Like even um, secular uh, writers and historians and professors um, believe that that could be possibly the greatest short story ever, ever told, ever written. So Jesus was a really, really good storyteller. Um, and I think that sometimes... The best way, um, yeah, I guess you could say the best way to communicate a, a biblical truth or a passage is by telling the story, but by doing it through a first-person narrative. What that means is when the the, the pastor or the preacher kind of takes on the character of that person. Okay, now I, that's what I'm going to do tonight, and I'll explain that a little bit more. It's been about two years since I've done this, and the first time it went okay. I'll be honest; this it makes me. Uh, it makes me nervous. Normally I have the Bible as my notes, but I, don't have, I, can't, I can't cheat tonight, so we're just, we're just going for it, alright? Um, so the idea is, is that what I'm going to do, uh, hopefully if you have your Bible, that's awesome, you've got your Bible. I'm going to essentially walk you through Mark chapter 2 through chapter 3 verse 6, which I think really that whole unit is a natural unit. Um, we're going to walk through Mark chapter 2, uh, the whole thing, and then all the way through chapter 3 verse 6. And the and the goal is um, that you get kind of a, a picture of what it would be like to sit down and hear the story from someone that actually lived it, that was actually there. So we're going through Mark. Uh, guess who wrote the book of Mark? Mark? You guys are brilliant, okay? Yeah, John Mark. Um, his name is John Mark. We'll go, we'll go call him Mark. But here's the deal. And I always, even like I had to refresh myself on this. Um, Mark actually wasn't... Like, he wasn't there for all the eyewitness accounts, okay? The stories that are to- that are recorded in Mark, I don't really love the word stories, but the accounts that are given in Mark were told to Mark by a man named Peter, okay? Now, Peter was one of the disciples, right? Yes. Everybody shake your head, yes, 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 okay? So he did see these these things happen firsthand. And he he gave them to Mark to record. And so tonight, what I'm going to do is in a sense, take on the character of Peter, okay? Now, I'm not going to, like, go change clothes and come back out and have this big, dramatic presentation. That would be kind of cool, I guess. But, oh, man, sorry. But, uh, literally, I'm just going to kind of walk through the passage. So you're welcome, if you want, you're welcome to, like, follow along and, and make sure that I'm not just making stuff up. Or or if you want to just kind of sit back and hear the story, I promise I'm, I promise you I'm, I'm going through the passage. Um, and I will, just to because some of y'all may be like, what's going on here? Um. As I'm telling the story, absolutely, there are going to be some things that may be possibilities. Does that make sense? So, like, the, uh, um, historical possibilities. Does that make sense? So, like, the, uh, I, don't, I don't want to get into details yet. But, yeah, so, um, I'm not saying that literally every word I say, you're going to be like, yep, that's where it is. Like, I don't mean that. But you should be able to, as I'm telling the story, yeah, if you want to, check it say, yeah, I see, yep, this is in the passage, this is in the passage. Does that make sense? Does make sense? Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I, I I will be shocked if I don't at times come out of character and say something ridiculous. So just, uh, just forgive me and we'll keep moving. Okay. Um, Hey, so I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us and then a transformation will happen. I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) This could be interesting. (laughs) All right. All right. Let me, uh, let me pray and I'll try not to make a fool of myself. All right. God, thank you so much for these students. Um, and then being here tonight, and uh, well, thank you for the, the chance to worship and just kind of refocus our hearts and our minds and refresh ourselves and just um, have the opportunity to just to invite you to, to fill our lives, to be a part of what we're doing, God, to, to ask you to make us more aware of your presence. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we walk through um, Mark 2 and a little bit of chapter 3, that we would get at least a little glimpse of what you're like. And God, help me um, to portray accurately and and to present what's there in the text and really what I think Mark is trying to communicate as he tells us about about who you are. Um, God, we love you, and I pray you would just give us ears to hear, Lord, and eyes to see. In your name we pray, amen. Well, my name is Peter, and uh, it's about time you I got a good preacher on Thursday night. You know what I'm saying? I don't know who that other guy is. <laughs> Man, it, what a privilege to be with you guys! I've aged very well for two thousand years. Doing, doing pretty good. Just saying, hey, hey, watch it! <laughs> Somebody said like this. Um, such, such a privilege to be with y'all. And and Brandon, really amazing, awesome guy, invited me to speak. <laughs> just invited me to speak. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> invited me to speak to y'all tonight. Um, he wanted me to just kind of give you a little glimpse of what I saw of, of Jesus, what I had Mark write down in in the book of Mark. Um, and just give you a little glimpse of who he is and what he was like. And when Brandon asked me that, uh, it's, it's interesting what came to mind. You know what I remembered? Jesus had a knack for ticking off religious people. I mean, like, all the time, he just drove them, like, crazy. Honestly, like, not to get ahead of myself, but that's, that's humanly speaking, that's what got him killed. Was he drove religious people crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, you don't have like religious people today, do y'all? By the way, don't be scared. You can answer, even though I'm 2,000 years old. You can answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm sure you do. Religious people, and when I say religious people, I mean people that try to try to please God, try to get to God by being a good person, right? I think they can prove something, they can earn something to God by being a good person. So, in my day, in Jesus' day. A lot of these people, they were Pharisees. These were like the religious elite. Okay, like you wanted to be like them because there was no one more spiritual, no, more, no one more obedient or more rule following than them. And Pharisee actually means, believe it or not, it means ones who are set apart. And, you know, we never really knew. Set apart It could have meant set apart to study God's word because they study it all the time. But we really think what here and that because they were the super themselves as set apart, that they were better than us. Right. That we were down here and that because they were the super spiritual people, they were up here. And those are the people that Jesus drove crazy. (laughs) They did not know what to do with him. Man, (laughs) I remember one story. This one time Jesus was in one of his his hometown, Capernaum which Brandon, your college pastor, has been there. He can show you some pictures one day if you want to see it. Super cool. Anyways, so, uh, so we were talking in third person. <laughs> so Jesus was at his house, which, by the way, how cool to go to a home group at Jesus' house, right? I mean, I don't know, but by the way, on a side note, Brandon told me you'll have an opportunity to sign up for home groups. Y'all should do that, okay? As far as I know, Jesus is not teaching one, but if I find out, I'll let you know. So Jesus is teaching a Bible study at his house, And it was packed. I remember there was no room. There was probably about 50 people or so. It was so packed that people were to the door. Could you imagine that if this room was so full that people were at the doors just begging to to be able to see, just begging to look in and hear what was being taught? That probably wouldn't happen with Brandon, but with Jesus, it happened all the time, right? People were just begging to, to see what was going on. So Jesus was sitting there teaching, and these four men came up carrying a paralyzed man. And... Because it was so crowded, they couldn't get in. You know what they did? They went up on the roof, which sounds crazy to y'all, but in, in, in my day, in Jesus' day, it was easy to get up on the roof. People actually would sometimes go up there at night and sit as the sun was going down. It would be cool up there. Cool as in temperature cool. <laughs> and so they went up to the up to the roof and they began to tear the roof was made of um, Several branches and maybe even some some tiles and they moved everything away so they could lower this paralyzed man into where Jesus was and get him so he could see Jesus. And you know what Jesus said when he saw that? He said, why are you tearing apart my roof? (laughs) No, he didn't say that. (laughs) No, when when they lowered the man down into the room, Jesus, he looked at them. He saw the faith they had, how desperate they were just to get to him because they believed in what he could do. And he looked at the paralyzed man and he said, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Which that was a bold statement. Even I knew; man, I wasn't. I was just a fisherman. I wasn't that smart. Even I knew only God can forgive sins. I, Jesus just said, "This man's sins are forgiven." How could he do that? And uh, who who were the people that Jesus drove crazy? The Pharisees, and you better believe they caught on that. The Pharisees, the scribes, kind of one and the same. They were sitting over there. When they heard Jesus say that, they said, why does he talk like that? By the way, have you ever experienced that in a Bible study? Someone says something, and you're like, why did they say that? Ooh, it get on my nerves. Okay, so Jesus said, your son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, why does he say that? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, you know, I don't know if he used his divine nature at this point. The re- reality is like, you know, He's got social skills. He realized what was going on in their hearts and minds, that they were questioning what he had done. And he said, which is easier? He looked at the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, which is easier? To say, son, your sins are forgiven, or to tell him to get up and walk? See, Jesus was saying, hey, you can't, I can't prove you, I can't show you right here that I just forgave his sins, but I can prove to you that I have the authority to by getting, by healing him and making him get up and walk. So which is easier to say, son, your sins are anything. They just sat there. And the Pharisees, they're scared. They didn't say anything. They just sat there. Jesus, man, he had, Brandon was telling me this phrase y'all use up. He, he had a mic drop moment. Okay. He, he said, so that you'll know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. And he looked over at the paralyzed man. He said, son, get up, pick up your bed and go home. You know what that man did? He got up. He picked up his bed and he went home. It was awesome. And the Pharisees, they didn't know what to say. And the rest of the crowd the, the crowd, the 50 people in the house, they were going nuts. They were amazed that Jesus just literally just healed this dude. And he like, which I'm like, man, you could have said thanks or something. He just picked up his mat and just went home. Like, that was it. Man, they had deuces. I mean, oh. <laughs> another word Brandon taught me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they, they, didn't know, they didn't know what to do. Man, it, it ticked them off. See, they were expecting that Jesus would give some other way to earn forgiveness. That we, here's, some, here's a list of things to do to earn forgiveness. And what they didn't realize yet, and honestly what we as disciples didn't realize yet, Jesus came not to give us a list of how to be forgiven. He came to forgive us. And they, they didn't get that yet. Oh, man, <laughs> that makes me think. There was something else Jesus did that ticked them off. Oh, man, this is my favorite. So Jesus, you know, the Pharisees expected Jesus as a spiritual person to go after and hang out all the, hang out with all the, all the really spiritual religious people. You know what? Jesus didn't have time for that. That's not what he did. Jesus went after the tax collectors and sinners. And, oh, the best thing, he wouldn't just, like, talk with them when it was convenient at the, at the market. Or down by the Sea of Galilee. He would actually have them over to his house. He would have sinners and tax collectors over to his house. Now he wouldn't, he wouldn't do what they did. He wasn't sinning with them. But he would hang out with them to the extent of even inviting them to his house. And not just over to his house. They would eat together. And even in our culture then and in your culture now. When you eat with someone. What does that mean? Y'all tight. Could you explain that? <laughs> You're best of buds. Yeah, you, you're, you get along, right? There's, there's some love there. There's maybe a friendship. There's some grace experience there. So one day, Jesus, actually this happened a lot, but one time, Jesus was sitting at his house, eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees saw and they said, Psh, why does he eat with them? Why does he hang out with them? What is he doing with those people? Now, I'm sure in in today's day, no one is ever judgmental or thinks they're better than someone else, right? That never happens today, I'm sure. But in those days, in that day, the Pharisees, they always looked down on the people that were, in a sense, they thought were less than them. Not as spiritual as them. Not as close to God to them because they were sinners, And the tax collectors, they were kind of bunched in there right with them because, long story short, tax collectors were seen as supporting Rome and not being for the people of God. So they were like the lowest of the low in the Pharisees' eyes. So they said, why would Jesus hang out with them? If he's so spiritual, if he's so religious, why is he hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? (laughs) And Jesus, he was never scared of them. (laughs) I don't know why they kept bugging him. He said, he looked at the Pharisees and he said, What that was? <laughs> he with the Pharisees, and he said, "It's not the well, the healthy who need a doctor. Who needs a doctor? Sick people. It's not. He says, not the righteous that have come to call, come to heal. It's sinners, people that think they have it all together, that think they're really spiritual, don't need a savior, or." They do. They just don't think they do. He, Jesus said, I've come for people that know they're messed up. It's okay to not be okay because Jesus realized he was definitely okay. <laughs> so people that didn't have it all together could come to him. So he says, look, I didn't come to call the people, the righteous, the people that are healthy, that have it all together. I came to heal the sick, those that need, know they need a doctor. They didn't like that. See, Jesus didn't come. This was so cool. As we followed him around, we began to realize Jesus didn't come to tell religious people how awesome they were for following the rules. He came to heal the sick and to save sinners. That's what he came to do. The religious people didn't like that. The Pharisees, they didn't have time for that. <laughs> but the reality is, or let, me ask it, let me ask it. Were the Pharisees sick too? Absolutely. Maybe even more sick than the people Jesus was eating with. They were pretty self-righteous. And you know, the fact that they, the Pharisees didn't realize they were sick kind of prevented them from seeing how awesome Jesus was. And, well, it's still today. <laughs> One time the Pharisees came to Jesus and his disciples and said, We're confused. Our disciples, the people that follow the, phar- the pharisaical tradition, teachings. By the way, on that note for a second, you may not know since it's been a long time. The Pharisees, part of what made them so frustrating, what they would do, they would take God's law in the Old Testament, and then they would add all these laws to it. The sense was to be super spiritual or to prevent themselves from committing one of the actual laws. But the problem was, the things actually became laws. So I was trying to think of how to explain this, and... and um, Brandon gave me an example. So in the Bible, it says, don't get drunk. You shouldn't get drunk. So some people, Pharisees in today's world, might say, well, you know what? If you listen to gangster rap, you might be tempted to drink. So don't listen to rap. (laughs) Is there a law saying you shouldn't listen to rap? No. (laughs) Got an amen back there. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's not a law against that. That That's fair sake. That's legalistic to say, well, you shouldn't listen to the rap music because you may end up getting drunk. That is not in the Bible. That's silly. Now, Brandon told me that. So back to what I'm talking about. <laughs> the Pharisees, that's, <laughs> that's what they would do. They would add made up human laws to what the Bible actually said. So the Pharisees, they the, in the Old Testament, it was good to fast. Even Jesus fasted. There, there was times of, of fasting. But... The Pharisees added specific days that you had to fast. That if you were spiritual, if you really loved God, you would fast on certain days of the week, just out of religion, just out of routine, just out of habit. So the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Hey, our disciples, the people that follow our tradition, they fast. Disciples of John the Baptist, they fast. Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast? And Jesus, again, another one of those mic drop moments, he looked at them and he said... Basically, would you fast at a wedding? If you were at a big wedding feast, would it be appropriate to fast? Absolutely not. Because a wedding is a time of joy and excitement and of fulfillment. Why would you fast? Fasting is a sign of mourning and sadness and sorrow and repentance and maybe trying to get closer to God because he's distant. Why would you fast at a wedding? That doesn't make sense. You know what Jesus was telling them? Why would you fast when I'm right here? He says, I'm with my disciples, so they don't need to fast. There's no reason for them to be sorrow, uh, sorrowful or to mourn or to try to get closer to me because I'm literally right here with them." Now, you know what? At the, the time, we didn't fully understand it. But think about it. Now we know and you know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is, that he is God. Doesn't it make sense that Jesus would say that? Why would we need to fast and be sorrowful and and mourn and be sad when we were in the presence of the King of Kings, the Savior of the world? Why would we fast? It wouldn't make sense, right? The the Pharisees, they didn't get it because they didn't see who Jesus was. Then he went on to tell them, he said, no one takes a new cloth and sews it on an old garment. They don't go together. It doesn't mix. Or no one takes... Old wine and put it in new wine, excuse me, new wine and put it in old wine skins. It doesn't mix. They're not compatible. They don't go together. You know what Jesus was telling them? Look, my disciples, they rejoice. They're excited. They have joy because something new has come. I'm not coming. Jesus wasn't coming just to add on to the rules that the Pharisees had given. He wasn't coming just to give more religion, more law. No, he was providing something new, hope, life, forgiveness, salvation. So he says... You, you don't worry about us not fasting. <laughs> Does that make sense? It wasn't just fasting. You know, that was kind of a, a. Very much a Jewish thing. But another, Which still happens today. Is a good thing. But very much a Jewish thing at the time of Christ. Was the Sabbath. Very important. Man I remember. One day. Jesus and we disciples. Were walking through a grain field. And we picked some of it just to eat. And it happened to be on the, on the Sabbath. Yeah, supposed to be a day of rest, right? So we're walking to the field and we pick some just, just to eat, just a little bit, just because we were hungry. And you know what the Pharisees did? They said, why are you plucking grain on the Sabbath? What are you doing? Why are you, in their words, their, their idea, why are you working on the Sabbath? What are you doing? <laughs> Jesus, I love it. He, he basically, to, to keep it simple, he looked at them and basically asked, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> do you even know what you're talking about? There's, again, these are the religious elite. He basically looks at them and says, do you even know the stories of the Old Testament? And then he gets to the, the simple point. He says, you've forgotten. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath... The day of rest is not the Lord over men that we worship the day of rest. No, he says, the day of rest was given for what? The Sabbath was given for who? For men. It was a gift from God. A gift of grace. A gift of mercy. A day to slow down and refresh and rejoice in who God is and realize that he's in control and not we as little humans. And he says... Y'all have got it all wrong. You've made it a day about all these rules and regulations. Those Pharisees, those Jokers were crazy. Those men were crazy. They would even, they had a certain amount of steps you could take in a day. If you took one over the allotted amount of steps, then you were sinning. How ridiculous is that? Jesus was saying, you've got, you've totally confused what God gave you as a gift. You've made it about rules. You're trying to earn your way to God. You're trying to prove that you're spiritual. When God actually tried to give you a gift of grace and mercy. Now I love what he said. He said, The son of man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Two things we didn't realize at all at that moment. First, Jesus as God, as Lord of the Sabbath, Pharisees. (laughs) He has the authority to say what Sabbath is about, not Pharisees. (laughs) Second, Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath, you know what? he was saying, and what we began to see throughout the rest of our time following him was that Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath is where true rest is found. See, the Sabbath day is really just given as a glimpse, as a picture to point us to Jesus to find our true Sabbath rest, meaning only in Jesus does our soul really find rest and refreshment. Only in Jesus is our soul Truly fed. Jesus says. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) The Pharisees did not like that. What need. Did they have. For a Lord of the Sabbath. When they could just try to only walk a certain amount of steps. On the Sabbath day. To earn their way to God. What need did they have. For a Savior. If they could just fast. To make themselves good enough for God. What need do they have for God if they could just stay away from dirty, unclean sinners and make themselves clean so they could be with God? What need do they have for a Savior? You ever notice, and maybe people are more spiritual than me, not that you're Pharisees, but you ever notice how when there's someone you don't like, you begin to look for things to accuse them of? Now, don't lie to me. I'm one of the disciples. <laughs> yeah. When there's, I think in all of history, people have been like that. When there's someone you don't like, you look for things to point out in them that you don't like. Or you look for ways to destroy them. You know what? That's exactly what the Pharisees did. I remember one Sabbath, Jesus came into the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand there. His hand was not as it should be. (laughs) The Pharisees, when they saw this man, they began to watch Jesus. They were going to see what he would do. They were hoping Jesus would do, would do something, would perform a, a miracle, would heal this man on the Sabbath just so they could accuse him, so they could catch him in a trap. See, in the, though the Bible, though the Old Testament said nothing about uh, helping someone on the Sabbath and, and doing good, there was, it was not wrong to do good, to heal someone on the Sabbath. In the Pharisaical tradition, they had added all these laws where it was wrong. They, they were saying you couldn't even do good to someone. You couldn't even help someone on the Sabbath because that would technically be working. So they said, oh, man, we're going to catch him now. Jesus is no fool. He knew what they were doing. And I love it because Jesus not a sissy man. He's a bold man. You know what he did? Knowing their thoughts, knowing what they were doing. Jesus made me so nervous. Do you guys have friends like that? They just like to make a scene. Jesus seemed to do that. And i always like, hey, chill, bro. <laughs> Brandon taught me that too. <laughs> So he calls the man to the center of the synagogue. And then he asks a question just to create the tension a little bit more and make sure everybody's paying attention in case someone wasn't. He says, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to cause harm on the Sabbath? To take life or to give life? And you know he's directing the question to who? The Pharisees. Because he knows they're trying to catch him. And the Pharisees, if they really had loved God, they would have understood that God has mercy and compassion and love and wants to help people. And they would have said, yes, you should heal this man. But you know what? Because of their hard hearts, because of their religiosity, they they kept silent. Didn't say a word. And Jesus, as loving and compassionate and gracious as he is, I'll, I'll never forget it. He was grieved at their hard hearts. Jesus didn't lose his temper, but it was all over his face. He was pretty angry with these Pharisees because as, quote, spiritual and religious as they were, they were so far from the heart of God. They were so far from what God really wanted and what God really intended. And you know what? (laughs) In spite of the danger that lay at hand, you know what Jesus did? He said, stretch out your hand. To the man with the withered hand and his hand was healed. But see, that was the beginning of the end for Jesus. Because as soon as he did it, the Pharisees, the little super spiritual jerk selves, walked outside and right from that moment began to plot how to destroy Jesus. See, Their whole mindset, their whole worldview was built around getting to God. Being good enough by, through good works. Being good enough to get to God through being religious and being super spiritual. Being, making yourself look better than other people. And Jesus completely, 100% contradicted that by saying, hey, you can't be good enough to get to God. That's the reason I came. See, that's the reason the Pharisees and Jesus always butted heads because they had two completely different ideas. The, the Pharisees, all about religion, all about earning. Jesus, all about rescue, all about coming to save. So that's why they said, we've got to get rid of this guy because we have no use for him. Why would we need a savior if we can be good enough? And more than that, he's a threat to the, what we teach and to our way of life. So we have to get rid of him. So... Here's what I want you to get, and here's really why like, I told John Mark to write down all those stories. I want you to understand, where, where was the turning point? Where did the destruction, so to speak, of Jesus begin? But more than that, I want you to see a, cle- a clear difference in two worldviews. So many people in that time, and I would imagine so many people today think it's all about religion to the cross to show you that and Jesus was willing to go to the cross to show you that's not what it's about Jesus is all about rescue he knows that none of them and none of you and none of the people that have lived in between could be good enough religious enough to get to heaven so God himself took on flesh came as Jesus to be good enough for you and to die the death that you deserve, rise again so he could rescue you. It's interesting and sad. The better you think you are, the more spiritual you think you are, the more okay you try to convince yourself that you are, the further you will run from Jesus. The more you will want, <laughs> the, say it this way, the less you want to have anything to do with him. Just like the Pharisees. They thought they had it all together. So what good was Jesus to them? I would beg you. Realize. That you don't have it all together. And that you can't be religious enough for God. And that he came to rescue you. And when you realize that. You actually act like the men. At the very beginning of the story. I began to tell you. That did whatever they could. To get to jesus see when you realize jesus is not about religion he's about rescue you do everything you can to get to him even though you know you're messed up (laughs) it's not about religion it's about rescue
1: Pretty awesome. For believers in here, people that call themselves followers of Jesus, what defines your relationship with Jesus? Is it defined by religiosity, by, by following rules, or rescue? I think we all drift towards le- um, legalism and rules and rules. Um, but just as as, uh, as Peter said, it's about rescue. Jesus came to rescue us. And, and so tonight we're going to sing a song. Like I said, I, I'm i talking to people in here that are, are believers, call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus. We're going to sing a song, a couple songs. Um, and maybe this is just a time of, of repentance to Jesus, to God tonight. Maybe you just need to worship. We're going to sing a, a song. There's also a line, Jesus came for us. For sinners, just like what Peter just told us. (laughs) there's also a line where he says, um, you came for Pharisees, even one like me. So even if your repentance here is like, man, I've been that hypocrite. Um, There will be people that you can talk to or or just pray and and worship with me. Now, Now there may be, I think there's probably a lot of people in here that wouldn't call themselves Christians. Maybe you don't call yourself a Christian. And I think we have to just start by apologizing, Right? I think it's way too often. I mean, it's, it's way too often that, that that following Jesus, having a relationship with him is defined by religiosity, by rules and all these things that you have to do to get better. That's just not the case. And we've seen that tonight. Jesus came to rescue, He came to save. He came for sinners, for the tax collectors. And, and as we sing this song, like I said, there's going to be people in the back. If you want to talk to somebody, please go talk to them. And if not, if you're just struggling with it, man, listen to these words. It's just, it's what Brandon just told us. He came for you. He came for me. He came for all of us. Um, and we don't have to be perfect to have a relationship with him. In fact, he, he came for those that are broken and in need of help.